It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. In the last episode, I was discussing the history of Islam. Allow me to return to that topic again today in this episode. It doesn't take much to realize that it is primarily a list of bloody conquests and atrocities. By the mid-1450s, the military power in the earth had dramatically changed Now, the former Byzantine Empire was in the hands of the Ottoman Turks. The eastern flank of Christian Europe now lay unprotected. The result was that the Islamic control of territory was predominant. By the time of 1683 AD, the Ottomans were laying siege to the city of Vienna in Italy. All the lands from the eastern Mediterranean Sea to Vienna had already fallen to the forces of Islam. Despite Islam taking control of many kingdoms in Europe, there was one ray of hope. Most of Spain was reconquered and was back under Christian control by 1250. And in 1492, the Muslim kingdom of Granada was conquered by the Catholic monarchs Ferdinand and Isabella, and the Moors began to retreat from Portugal. They had occupied most of Spain and Portugal since the early 8th century. But in the meantime, piracy still continued. The Ottomans had made mutual pacts with the Islamic pirates of North Africa, primarily located in Tripoli, Libya. The pirate named Barbarossa was based in Tripoli and operated in the mid-16th century under the protection of the Ottoman sultans. The islands Cyprus, Rhodes, and Sicily had all fallen to Islam. Only Malta, reconquered from Islam by the Christian Normans in 1090 AD, stood free. Following 1776, it's fair to say that Islam became the first enemy of the new Republic of the United States. Islamic policy led to the victimization of U.S. citizens and commerce and the first use of force by the U.S. on foreign soil. Morocco was surprisingly the first to recognize the independence of the United States. Their motives were that now that America was on its own, the United States commerce and ships were open prey for Moroccan pirates who were no longer bound by their treaties with the British Empire. 
Those treaties had protected American ships while America was still a colony of the British Empire. The cleaning up of the Muslim piracy in the Mediterranean was finally accomplished in 1805. How? By the newly founded Republic, the United States of America. Presidents prior to Thomas Jefferson had been paying annual tributes to the Barbary pirates to guarantee safe passage to American ships and citizens in the Mediterranean. After 1776, the New Republic did not have a strong navy, so the New Republic resorted to paying the Barbary pirates an annual tribute. It made peace treaties with the Islamic pirate regimes in March 1796 with Algeria, in June 1796 with Tunis, and in November 1797 with Tripoli. By 1795, the U.S. government was paying more than $1 million in annual tribute to the Barbary pirates. But the tributes and the peace treaties did not work. The attitude of Islam then, as now, was to wage war on Christians. In the years between 1794 and 1801, the United States built 45 new ships for its navy. It also captured 85 ships from the French, with whom the United States had been in a quasi-war from 1797 to September 1800. The U.S. now had the necessary naval power but was still reluctant to use it against the pirates. The New Republic had not learned that appeasement with the evil forces does not work. Not only did appeasement not work with the pirates then, neither did it work with the evil Adolf Hitler Nazi regime in World War II. In 1804, President Thomas Jefferson finally would have no more of the scourge of piracy. Tripoli was the bastion of piracy in the Mediterranean, so it became the target. Jefferson ordered the U.S. Navy and Marines into Tripoli on February the 16th, 1804. On May 27th, 1805, the U.S. flag was raised over the fortress of Derna outside of Tripoli. With this victory, piracy in the Mediterranean was finished. This engagement in Tripoli marked the first time that the U.S. flag was raised on foreign soil and also the first time that U.S. power was projected abroad. This is why the United States Marine Anthem includes the phrase, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. That phrase refers to two campaigns for which the U.S. Marines and the Army were engaged in victory. The first was in 1805, when piracy was overcome. And the second refers to the Battle of Chapultepec during the Mexican American War in 1847, where the U.S. Marines and Army fought forces defending Mexico City. 
the forces of the Marines storm Chapultepec Castle, a historic site also known as the Halls of Montezuma. Allow me to pose a question with some political ramifications. If President Jefferson can stop piracy in a different land because it enslaved and killed many Americans, why can't the USA stop the drug cartels in Mexico because it is enslaving many to drug addiction and fentanyl is killing many of our citizens? We could give the Mexican government the option, stop the drug cartels yourself or we will. Fast forward in history to September the 11th, 2001, where 19 Muslim extremists hijacked four passenger jets, flying two of them into the World Trade Center in New York City and one into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., killing more than 3,000 people. The fourth plane crashed in Pennsylvania. The hijackers were disciples of Osama bin Laden, the world's most famous Islamic terrorist. What is my point in taking us through this brief review of Islamic history? Much blood, indeed much Christian blood, was spilled to secure our freedoms. Our freedom from being forcibly converted to Islam, our freedom from both physical and spiritual slavery, our freedom to guide our affairs and be safe. Today, we are blindly relinquishing those freedoms back to militant Islam in the name of political correctness and under the leadership of mindless politicians whose agendas are mysteriously against the survival of our nation. God help us. Let me turn now to discuss the Quran, the central document of Islam. You might recall that I have said that until the time of Muhammad, the Arab god Allah had sent the Arabs no prophet and given them no scripture in their own language. But Muhammad began to have his revelations. Muslims believe every single word of the Quran was dictated verbatim by Allah through the archangel Gabriel to Muhammad over a period of 23 years, from 610 to 632 AD, the year of Muhammad's death. Muhammad did not write down his revelations, but gave them orally. According to tradition, Several of Muhammad's companions served as scribes, writing his revelations on pieces of paper, stones, palm leaves, shoulder blades, ribs, and bits of leather. After each such revelation, Muhammad would recite the words of revelation to those companions present. Thus the word Quran, which means reading or reciting, was attributed to his revelations. Surah 73, verses 1 through 7, implies that many of the devout believers memorized these Quranic portions and used them for private meditation or public worship. 
Shortly after Muhammad's death, his scribes began to collect all the scattered pieces of his revelations. But according to Wikipedia, the Quran's verses were first organized into a whole book by Abu Bakr. As the Islamic Empire began to grow, the skeleton of the Quran was compiled in 650 A.D. by the then Caliph Uthman. Some references, especially Wikipedia and Kenneth Richard Sample's book, A World of Difference, name him as Uthman, the third Caliph. For this reason, The Quran, as it exists today, is also known as the Uthmanic Codex. Sample says, Uthman selected one version and burned all the others. Common sense seems to indicate that Uthman could only burn the other text because clear textual variations were involved. Therefore, to restore the Quran to the state it was in before Uthman is historically and textually impossible. What were Uthman's motives in presenting the verses in the particular sequence that he chose? The verses are not presented in the chronological order in which they were written. Rather, in Uthman's sequence, its chapters are presented in terms of size. That is, the longest chapters are presented first and the shortest appear last. Scholars of the Quran know which chapters are among the last chronologically, but the general Muslim population may not have any clue which are the last chronologically. Muhammad had stated that he received progressive revelation. This means that the later chapters, surahs, and verses of the Quran supersede and abrogate the earlier ones. It is therefore important to know which chapters and verses were among the last written, because to a devout Muslim, those are the verses that really count. In Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, the author, Nabil Quraysh, writes, The Quran is not only inspired at the level of meaning, but at the deeper level of the words themselves. For this reason, Muslims do not consider the Quran translatable. If it is rendered in any language other than Arabic, it is not Quran but rather an interpretation of the Quran. A book can be true Quran only if written in Arabic. So now Islam had a scripture. Moreover, as a result of his revelations, Muhammad became what was acclaimed the final and supreme prophet, what Islam calls the seal of the prophets. Now Islam has its own prophet. I will return to the topic of the Quran in the next episode. In the meantime, exercise daily, walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. 
If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.